Welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome into Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Yes, we have finally managed to thaw out all of the wires that connect all of the things here at Soccer Morning. Sometimes they don't always get working, and it is like three degrees where I am and negative 600 where Trevor is. But we are going, we're, get, we're, we're getting started. We're getting started a little late, which means less of me babbling about the headlines because we've got Brian Sharetta coming up in just a couple of minutes. And you know, that's always a fascinating discussion with the guru of Yanks Abroad, a man who writes in American Soccer Now, the New York Times, many places, tracking many players. Lots to discuss with Brian Sharetta. Lots of names you may not know that could one day suit up for the United States of America on the international soccer field. In the meantime, let's go ahead and run through very quickly some of the headlines, because I did prepare. It would be such a waste if I didn't get to actually use the headlines. So let's talk about yesterday's results. Liverpool beat Besiktas 1-0 in the Europa League. The controversy there, penalty given to Liverpool. Jordan Henderson steps up. He's the captain on the field at the time with Steven Gerrard out. Mario Balotelli grabs the ball from Jordan Henderson, subsequently uh, makes the penalty and gives Liverpool the win. Now, Gerrard in the... Uh, the aftermath of the incident has called what Balotelli did disrespectful, and I think it's a whole lot of nonsense. Let's just stop, okay? The man's a striker. It's his job to score goals. I, I know, Jordan Henderson, whatever. In this situation, is it a big deal? If Jordan Henderson didn't think he should have the ball taken from him, don't give the ball away. Don't let Mario Balotelli take the ball from you. I don't really blame Mario Balotelli for wanting to score the goal. Everton crushed Young Boys 4-1 in Switzerland. Romelu Lukaku with a hat trick leading the way. Celtic came back uh, twice to draw Inter 3-3 in the Europa League as well. John Guidetti with a goal that uh, tied that game. Jack Wilshere set for a return to Arsenal this weekend. It's a big boost to the Gunners. They, uh, they go away to Crystal Palace in the Premier League. And Chelsea has decided to ban three fans identified as participating in the racist incident on the Paris Metro in the uh, in the Champions League this uh, last week. Now, we're going to open up some questions on this particular topic a little bit later. I read an excellent piece by Alicia Rodriguez over at the Guilt Parade this morning. Lots of questions in my head that I'm going to pose to you as to how much the fan behavior or how much fans come to embody a club or what whether or not a club can even separate itself from the fans. Because in this particular case, Chelsea has come out and said they are embarrassed, they are ashamed, Roman Abramovich is disgusted, except that's not really going to address the issue here. Chelsea needs to own the fact that it's got some racist fans and maybe try to be proactive about this. Again, my question is, whether or not you ban these people, does that really do any good? And when you talk about Americans adopting English, German, Spanish, Italian clubs, are we really aware in all cases of what the background of those clubs might be? We don't have this connection between politics and racism and, and, and homophobia with the groups that support our teams in this country. So when you go and you pick your English club, are you paying attention? I want to know from, from I want to ask some of you if you've ever had an issue where you picked a club and then were ashamed to find out some of the history. We'll put that out there. In the meantime, let's take a break. Let's grab, let's grab, grab, grab. Let's grab Brian Sherrod. i got to warm up my mouth, too. Brian Sherrod from Yanks Abroad, New York Times, American Soccer Now is going to join us to talk dual internationals. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Flash cards. 
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk, and joined now on the phone by one of our favorite guests around here. You know him from YanksAbroad.com, from American Soccer Now, from the New York Times. His name is Brian Sharetta. Brian, how are you? I'm doing great, Jason. How are you? You're staying warm. We're trying to stay warm. I'm trying to stay I'm wearing a jacket to do a radio show, Brian. That's how cold it is. It's not good. But we have some uh, thoughts of American Duel Internationals perhaps coming to the American side to, to maybe warm our hearts a bit today. I've seen your piece at American Soccer Now. You've got a list of guys. I think what I want to st- yeah. what I want to start with here is maybe the names that people aren't familiar with that are I don't know I don't want to, I don't want you to rank them necessarily but a kid like Ashton Goods who I'm I'm only learning about now at Hamburg what what's his story where did he come from and what's the potential ceiling there You know I mean I interviewed him back in December uh you know and I and uh, you know I think that was his first time he ever talked about his American roots. I mean, it's it's pretty typical now. It's a running theme, I think, with the German Americans. You know, you get a uh, African American father in the U.S. military. Um, you know, and a German mother. Uh, you know, his English is 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 not. It would probably be the most limited, uh, to be generous, of of all the German Americans. So it was a rather difficult interview. <laughs> um, he, he he's never. You know, the problem is he doesn't have an American passport, and he doesn't. He's never spoken with his dad. Okay. Um, he doesn't know his dad. Uh, never met him. Never spoken with him. And 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 the, and the impression that I got, he was kind of short about it. Was is that you know it doesn't seem like there's a lot of uh, you know there seems like there's some might be some, possibly some resentment there. Don't want to put all the words into his mouth. Sure. Um, you know. You know. Uh, I think you know. You can. Everyone could kind of just understand why. Um, but uh, it's uh, it, it's. You know, he to get his American passport. Though I think you know, there's going to be some kind of a. He's going to need to reconnect with him a little bit to you know to you know to prove his American lineage and that he was a you know he acquired the citizenship for your birthright. Can, can and, I? Uh, that that could be a typical process. Well, can I interject here? We've had this situation before. Am I wrong to say Jermaine Jones had to go through something similar? Now he may have reconciled in a way that Ashton Gutz may never get to, but there was at least I don't think it was Jones. A situation where well, maybe boy, Terrence Boyd never right. spoke with his dad. He still hasn't, but he kind of went around finding his dad's family, who he who he still has a great relationship with. There you go, and you know, and he used that. But um, you know, uh, you know, Jermaine, you know, I, I you know, I, his, yes, there, there, he's close with his dad now. It wasn't at the time, but um, uh, you know, the, uh, with Gutsa though, I think the the it's about as remote as it comes right okay. now. Um, well, well, I mean, I mean look. That's yeah, the, I didn't ask him about his American his dad's family, but I don't think he has any, any connection right. with anybody. Well, then I guess we get to the question of, and I'm going to leave aside the you know Americanness of a kid. I mean, he's he's got American roots. Sure. He's American. He's eligible to play if he goes through that process. So let's let's imagine he does go through that process. I mean, what, what the reason we're talking about is is because Jurgen Klinsmann has made an effort to reach out to him. Yeah, of course. You know, it's. Uh, you know, regardless of you know how everyone feels about this, you know, like the the, the increased number of u- the use of these players with with limited connection to the United States. Just putting that aside, it, it's the reality of, of of how it is right now with the team is that there's a lot of these guys, and and some of them have embraced the team, you know, tremendously well. So Terrence Boyd is obviously one, and Mix, and you know, and Aaron Johansson. Uh, but and then some, you know, that you know that not everyone understands quite yet. That being said, you know, look, he's a he's a Bundesliga player. The, the team is struggling. 
uh, HSV is not doing well, but, um, you know, he's a young right back. Uh, you know, he's defensive, you know, and he's eligible for the Olympic team. I mean, I don't think he's, you know, he, I think talking about him in the context of the senior national team is a little bit premature because I don't think he's, you know, comparing apples to apples here in Bundesliga to Bundesliga, he's not playing as well as Timothy Chandler is right now right. Um, at the same position. But he's Olympic eligible, so, you know, therefore he could, um, you know, he would give the option perhaps of playing right back on the Olympic team and allowing uh, Andy Herzog to maybe push uh, DeAndre Yedlin further up the field into a, an attacking position. Uh, lots of lots of moving parts here. I mean, we're, we're talking about some positions. I, I, look, I, I know there's always going to be competition for spots, Brian, and, and I'm not saying that you don't continue to, to search out these players if they're eligible, but at, at some point, does this become a little unwieldy for Klinsman? I mean, we'll get to some of these, of these other names that are possible. I mean, I, I guess... I guess you can never have too yeah. much talent. You can never have too much talent. Yeah, I mean, look, in, in my piece on Do Nationals, uh, there, you know, what was interesting is two of them, you know, Bjorn Mars Johansson and um, and uh, and Ventura Alvarado were not just born here and left early, and they, they were born and raised here. You know, so there are some dual nationals, you know, you know, right in our own backyard uh, that that have a real genuine solid connection to this country. But yeah, you know, I mean, when you start going and, and finding guys who were born, raised abroad, and, you know, Ashton's been to the United States twice for soccer tournaments, uh, you know, in his life, and, and, and he doesn't really have a connection to family and stuff, you wonder. I mean, you know, it's, it, you, you can say, yeah, you know, you, you do have to question, you know, uh, you know, you have to do, some of these guys might, you know, fully embrace and walk in and, and fit in from day one, right in from day one. Yeah, uh, and and totally buy into the U.S. national team process. But then there is the whole now added development of the fact that not everyone's going to be like that. Some guys, it's you know, it's it's going to be kind of a mystery to them, or it's just kind of like a cool thing that just happened to pop up in their life. But you know, it's not one that you know they ever really felt attached to growing up. And uh, you know, and you know, in, in national team games, a lot of it's about emotion. You know, these yeah. games are you know, the, these tournaments are that they they play in are short. They're month long. And, you know, and, and sometimes you can win these teams on emotion, you know, and, um, and, uh, you know, and it's, you can't, while you can't ever rule it out for somebody, you can't always 100% expect, uh, expect everyone to totally buy into the you know, national team yeah, program this... despite playing in a good league. So, uh, you know, you have to kind of go through that process and it is an actual added development, added, I, added element I, to, I... uh, to, to discover. I call that the uh, I call that the Alexi Lalas theory uh, of international soccer. Now, uh, there's a, a like you said, American soccer. Now you've got a piece of seven potential American players who are dual internationals. As you said, some of them grew up here, had opportunities to go abroad through family connections or or whatever. Uh, one name that's come up on this show in in the recent past because we've talked some Mexican soccer is Ventura Alvarado. I get yeah. the sense that uh, Club America defender. I get the sense that he's He's fairly close, and if Klinsman can get him into a camp, I mean, we may be seeing this kid actually playing meaningful matches in the not too distant future. I think he's a, he's number one right now. If you're talking about dual national players, and you know what's interesting about him is he was born and raised in the United States. He didn't leave for Mexico until the age of sixteen, and his Spanish wasn't completely fluent when he went to Mexico right. at the age of sixteen. So, you know, I mean, that gives you kind of like you know, uh, you know, he grew up in a real American household. Um, he obviously has a Mexican Mexican passport, but. You know, look, um, we've had Americans play for Mexican champions before. I mean, uh, Club Tijuana, um, Santos Laguna, uh, with, yeah, but Club America is the biggest team in that country. It's the most prestigious team in that country. And, you know, when last, when he was starting in the Liga MX final, you know, with Antonio Mohamed as the head coach, I mean, I thought that this was, they, they were playing probably like, they were playing as if they were like the best team 
in the world outside of Europe. I mean, they were playing very, very well. And now the new coach has come in, and he's still maintained his starting spot. I mean, this is this is a, he, he's earning it on the field. He's not just doing it on potential. He's you know, which is what we see a lot of times with you know dual nationals these days with you know LLM and Julian Green. Sure. Uh, this is actual tangible results, you know, and 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 something that you know it's easier to get excited, and it's more. You know, and it's nice to see excitement about a kid born and raised here doing great things, you know, on the field right now, not just based on potential. And, and, and so, and you know, it, I think that this is a guy that everyone can, I think, can really, you know, get excited about and, if he joins the U.S. fold. And a guy who, who has expressed interest. He, you know, he wants, yeah. to, wants to play for the U.S. at some point. I mean, he could obviously yeah, play. Yeah, to him twice about it, yeah. And I, 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 my guess, my hunch, and I think that I, it's an educated guess, is that you're going to see him in uh, uh, the in Europe uh, for the games um, in March. Okay, fair enough. There you go. Uh, as you mentioned, some of these guys are more about potential than they are about for, uh, results at this point. That part of that is, is down to youth. Um, a, a guy, a, a guy who's in that camp is certainly Adam Henley uh, at Blackburn. A, a young player had some injuries. Obviously, they're not in the Premier League at this point. So, where where does he stand in in your sort of? Um, and obviously, there's there are other teams. Not not talking about the senior team necessarily. Talking about Olympic teams and the like. But where does he fit mm-hmm. to in, in in his process? Where is he in uh, the possibility of joining the U.S.? Well, I think that, you know, he's, um, you know, where it's supposed to guts has a lot of work to do. Henley can join tomorrow if he's filed his one-time switch and if the U.S. probably approached him uh, for the Olympic team. And, you know, obviously he would be, therefore, if him and Guts uh, both switched, they'd both be, well, Guts doesn't have to switch, but if he joined the program, like, um, uh, they, they would both, like, be comp- competing with each other. I mean, they're both the right back. You know, they're both right backs naturally. I think Henley has, been, has expressed interest further, like, you know, a while back. Um, it looked like the U.S. was getting close to getting him, but then injuries slowly started to creep in with him. Uh, when he's healthy, though, he's very good. Um, and now it looks like he's finally starting to get healthy. He's starting now again. In the last, he started the last couple games for Blackburn, including, you know, defeating Stoke in the FA Cup. He looked very good. And, you know, um, when he looks at the Olympic team, one thing you have to consider with that team is, like, it's only 18 spots. So versatility is um, is at a premium there. Um, a guy who can play multiple positions is, is huge. And Henley can play left back at times. I mean, it's not his best. It's not his favorite. But he's done, played it in the Premier League as a 17-year-old and done well at, you know, in his history. So, you know, something like that is a little bit more attractive there. Um, you know, and he has some experience. And then it's right now it's a matter of him maintaining that uh, starting lineup at Blackburn. And, uh, but all reports are that he's looked very good the last couple of weeks. So, you know, it's something to keep an eye on. Um, and I think he's, he's a little bit more ready in terms of he doesn't have a process to go through than uh, Ashton Goods. Let's uh, let's switch from defenders. We talked about a, a lot of defenders here and go up top. And, look, you, you know, Josie Outdoor is key to the U.S. setup because he's big and he's strong and he can, he can do some of that hold-up play that you need, especially if you play a lone, a lone striker. And we've seen Klinsman mess around with some of that. Uh, there's a six, is he six five? There's a six five striker that has, uh, an American, uh, that has American roots that could possibly play for the U.S. in, where is he? Portugal? And this is Bjorn Mars. Uh, yeah, Johnson. he's the leading Bjorn Mars Johansson. Now, here's a dual national that, like, he, you know, obviously he sounds like he's, you know, from, you know, from Scandinavia. His dad is, but he was born and raised in North Carolina. I mean, he played high school soccer in North Carolina. And then, um, you know, I spoke to um, Elmer Bolowitz, the head coach at um, uh, Creighton, you know, who's done great things there. Um, and uh, he he was telling me that uh, uh, that he would have offered this guy a scholarship, you know, from day one because he coached him at the youth level right. in North Carolina. 
And, uh, um, but he, was, he didn't really want to go to college. He didn't have much interest. So he, you know, he used his dad's connection to go back to Norway. He had a passport, played lower levels. And, um, this year, you know, he's 23 and, and he scored something like 14 goals in his first 20 games. And, um, and this, he's among the leading, he's not there, but he's among, he's among the leading scorers in the Portuguese second flight. And, uh, there was a, some strong interest from the top Portuguese clubs during the January window. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Atletico, uh, which is his current club, didn't sell um, despite having good offers, and uh, it was kind of disappointing, from what I understand. But uh, you know, there is some good clubs now on on the, on the radar. But again, like here, here's a guy whose his connection is very strong. I mean, uh, you know, straight up, he lived, born, and raised, all lived, developed here, all the way until he was 17. How many of these kids? I mean, especially the ones that that are a little off the uh, the typical fans' radar. I mean, we all know those guys who are are digging for these things all the time, and, and maybe the era has changed a bit. Usually they come forward before we even have to go looking. But how many of these guys, Bjorn Mars Janssen, as you said, North Carolina born and raised, and, and, and some of these other kids, uh, maybe even um, Henley, and how many of them are, well, Henleys are definitely definite interest, but how many of them are actively being pursued by U.S. soccer? Is, is Janssen being pursued? Is, is some, of the other, some of these other guys being pursued, or is this just a matter of, when they come good enough, there may be an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, it, they come so fast. I mean, and there's and it's so tough. I mean, we have such a big country, and such a you know, and and there's people here who you know who come here for all economic opportunity, education, and 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 they and then they have American, they establish American roots, and they leave. I mean, it, it's so tough to keep track of them, and then they just pop up like Aaron Johansson, right. is the best example. I mean, yeah. his, his parents came here for to go to school, and then he was born, and then they left, and then. And the interest came when he started tearing up the Danish Superliga, uh, you know, and there is no concrete number. I mean, and it's, it's tough. And sometimes they approach a guy like Cameron Carter Vickers that like not many people knew about, but now they got a gem of a prospect on their hands at the U20 level. Um, so sometimes they're proactive. Sometimes they, they slip through the cracks and then they have to pursue them once they start getting good enough. And, you know, there's no, it's, it, this country's so interesting that way and, and why, how people get roots and then move beyond that you really can't keep track of, you know, who, you know, all the American or American eligible players throughout the world. But I mean, they do a pretty good job, a very good job, um, given the difficulty of that task. And, um, you know, and there's not too many that really they don't get that they really want. I mean, you know, it's been a long time now since Rossi and Sabatic, um, you know, they, they generally get their first choice of, of the players that they want. Okay, a couple more names on your list. In fact, I think these are the last names on your list before we move on to some other uh, established American players, Kenny, and I asked you already, and I messed it up. Uh, I don't. I'm going to mess it up. Sayef, Kenny Sayef, Israeli player, born in Florida, currently playing in Belgium. Give me a sense of of yeah. of, of his he, talent. He's a good player. Yeah. Um, I have I rate him quite highly. I mean, he was you know he came up in the Israeli league and um, did very well for a relegation fodder team, and there was a lot of interest. Um, now he's playing again in, um, you know, a, a good Belgian team as a 20-year-old, and he's starting, you know, either as forward or winger. Um, he scored a couple of really highlight real goals. And, um, you know, and it's worth paying attention to. I, I do think, though, that when you deal with, a, you know, unlike Germany, where, like, like I like Ashton Goods, they, right now it's not really about U.S. versus Germany. It's about whether or not he can get his passport mm-hmm. and then he jump aboard the U.S. because Germany's beyond what he can do. You know, now you're competing against a team that's below the U.S. and that can probably use him quicker than even the U.S. can. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's a different kind of a thing. So the U.S. has to kind of be really proactive if they want him. 
uh, like they were with Aaron Johansson. Unfortunately, I don't know. He hasn't putting up those kind of numbers. So I think that the, uh, the odds are that he stays with Israel. But I think that if the U.S. really wanted to, they could probably land him. And the last, uh, the last two names, the Parker brothers. Now, a lot of people know about Sean. They may not know about Devante. What's the situation there in, in terms of uh, prying them out of Germany and, and getting them to play for the U.S.? I think um, with Sean, it's, it's um, you know, they've known about him for a long, they've known about these guys for a long time. With Sean, I think Germany's now, you know, is is kind of becoming a more of a very distant or remote possibility for yeah. him. I mean, I think he could join. Whether or not he wants to wait and see what his brother does and, and if they want to make a sw- potential switch together, that's up to them. I have, I've only spoken to Sean once, and that was a couple years ago. Um, you know, whether one wants to play for Germany and the other wants to play for the U.S., I don't know if that's something that they want to do, but I don't think, I can't see him playing for Germany anytime anymore. I think that's, but Devante is obviously the one with the higher potential. He's still only 18. He's still playing with their U19 team as recently as October. So that might take a little bit of time, but as we've seen, like, it's a long haul to get up to the German national team. The odds are against, you know, anyone really making it at that level. So I think the U.S., the both will become American players. It's just a matter of when. What's the just a review for people again? The the rules are uh, the rules changed a couple years ago, and, and now you can make that one time switch. Give me a, give me the rules so that people understand when these guys have to make their decisions if they have decisions to make. Uh, like making use of my law degree here. Um, <laughs> uh, they have uh, they you know it, it's you if you you can if you're eligible for a couple different countries, um, you can make a switch. You, you have to file a one-time switch if you've played for another country's youth national team in an official game. Right. So whether it be a, the German U19 game in a UEFA game or anything like that, then and then you then you can switch if you're German American, then you can switch to the United States uh, you, by using that one-time switch. If they're just friendlies, you can switch as many times as you want. Right. But if you but if but you can use that one-time switch if you play for a youth an official youth game, um, and you can only switch to a country. You've held citizenship uh, the whole time. Right. Like you, you don't, you know, you can't become a Brazilian and switch to Brazil. You have to have had that one citizenship you want to switch to the whole time. So, um, you know, that's pretty much the rules for switching. And both these guys have played um, for, you know, the Barger brothers have played for Germany and Sayef too for Israel in official youth competitions. So they would need to use a one-time switch, would make them permanently bound to the U.S. if they made yeah. that switch. Just to lay out an example. Uh, Diego Fagundes, who American fans coveted for a little while, has a play has played for Uruguay in an official competition and does not currently hold American citizenship, so he's gone. He can't switch. Yeah, back. he can't. He can't switch. That's right. right. I just I just he's using not. that as an example. All right, let's talk about some guys who have um, who are certainly um, well. One guy who's eligible, one guy who's played for the United States and is already locked in. Let's start with Julian Green and his situation at Hamburg. Uh, lots of confusion over whether or not he was being dropped to the U23s, whether he wanted to go play for the U23s, or if he was throwing a tantrum about this. Pep Guardiola saying it's an unfortunate situation. What do you know about Julian Green's loan and ultimately whether or not he's going to stay with that club through the remainder of the season? Well, I think he's going to be staying at HSC for the remainder of the season. I mean, if he comes back to Bayern, he can't play i mean i the, the loan was for the whole season so i don't know if there's a cancellation clause i mean no one's ever seen the details of this loan but we're already now pushing towards march and um you know and it, it, to cancel it and i don't think he, if he goes back to Bayern, i don't think he can play for the even the u23s the rest right. of the season right. so he might as well just try to stay there and make the most of it and see if he can get some games uh, but it's not a good situation. Um, now, whether or not uh, Bayern told him to, you know, uh, re- told him to refuse to go to the U23s, I doubt it. But 
that's always a possibility. Um, you know, uh, maybe 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 Byron's trying to strong arm uh, HSC to use one of their loan loaning players to get them some minutes. I don't know, um, but it, it's it's not a good situation. Um, you're going to end up seeing Julian Green. You know, you know, probably not even hit if he's lucky. He'll make 200 minutes Bundesliga action this year. And as he goes back down to the U23s, I mean, he's playing at a level he, you know, he played at well last year. So, um, you know, it's it's looking more, more and more uh, likely like it's a lost year for uh, Julian, unfortunately. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, that he makes the most out of it off the field. You know, becomes stronger and more emotional and more emotionally secure and tougher. Um, but you know, on the field, it's 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 looking like a waste. Just just in your opinion, I mean, look, he 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 was obviously a surprise inclusion in the World Cup team. He he kind of burst onto the scene by scoring that goal in extra time against Belgium despite the loss. Um, you know, in, in sort of juxtaposition with the, the Donovan omission, it, it was a thing for American soccer fans. But as as we head into the the you know into the meat of 2015, and you've got um, you've got a Gold Cup, and you've got some things coming up, especially and, and next year in 2016. Do you think Klinsman can justifiably continue to call up Green for for full squads, or or because of the loss here, does he have to wait now? Uh, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I, 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 I'm done trying to predict what your is going to do. I mean, there's so many things out there that, I mean, I can't, I, I, I just, just never even consider that are happening. Like an NASL player becoming like a regular. Sure. Um, that being said, I mean, I think that it's going to be, uh, I mean, the good thing for him is like for green is that he's a speedy winger and there's just not many of them in the U S team. I mean, that's why you're starting to see Breck Shea still in the mix. Yeah. So he plays the position of need. Um, that being said, if, if someone else takes that spot from him, you know, maybe it's Zardes, who I'm not a fan of that wide, but, you know, he played well. Uh, you know, Julian could find himself falling down the pecking order. That being said, I think he's still going to be at least very important, even if Clinton drops him to the Olympic team. Uh, you know, he's age eligible there, and you have qualifiers coming up in the fall, so you're going to see that team uh, led by Andy Herzog playing more regular intervals uh, leading up to the October qualifiers. Yeah. So you might start to see Julian, uh, you know, in that capacity with the team. But, yeah, it's going to be tough for him to be at least an impact player, anything beyond that they just bring along for experience. Um, you know, it's tough to see him making a huge impact. Now, the Gold Cup is, you know, except for Costa Rica and Mexico games, it's games most of the U.S. should win. Sure. But that being said, it's going to be, you know, and those games don't really, over, I don't really, I think you can, you're, it's fool's gold if you try to take too many away, too much away from like a U.S. El Salvador win, even in like the, 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 um, the Gold Cup those kind of games, but Julian is, uh, you know, he's in a tough position right now. If you, I don't think he can really count on him for like impact minutes, important yeah. minutes to come again, come in against Mexico and turn the tide of a game. Okay. Let's talk about one of these, um, English American dual international Seb Hines, uh, Middlesbrough player, uh, defender can play some midfield. Um, he's had a sort of a rough go at Middlesbrough recently. One of those guys who has been beset by injuries and, and the like, and and there's word on the word on the street is he's been in Orlando. He's trained with Orlando. He might be on loan with Orlando. Nothing official yet. Um, is that going to happen? And if it does, does that benefit Seb Hines? I mean, it benefits Seb Hines, um, you know, tremendously anywhere he can play. Um, you know, I, I've heard that this is probably going to happen. Uh, you know, just working things out. Now he has an American passport. No, doesn't you know doesn't qualify for any you know, you know foreign players or you know he's not limited in any way. Uh, you know, the the problem with Seb is, is, is like, he's like, you know, I mean, you're looking at another version of Zach Whitbread in yeah. terms of um, his injury situation. It's not just he's occasionally injured, injured, he's injured most of his career, you know, and, um, 
you know, for Orlando, uh, you know, getting a good player uh, when he's healthy, but, you know, you're taking a risk as well. And, and it comes to the point where, like, uh, you know, I think the reason why Seb never really made it, on, you know, in, into the U.S. program is because he, he just can't rely on him. Yeah. Same thing with Zach Whitbread. You know, it's like you don't even when he's healthy, you don't want to, you know, you know, you know, works put all this invest all this time and energy into him, and then just not have it, you know, you know just have him sit on the bench because he's injured. So if he can stay healthy, it's going to help Orlando. Um, but that's just that's really the issue about it, and it's um, it's unfortunate with him. He's a nice guy. He's he's you know he's he's a good player, particularly as a younger player, but. Um, you know, maybe maybe getting out of England and and going to Florida, nice weather like that, maybe maybe it's maybe a change of scenery for the best. Yep. A couple of quick questions from Twitter before I let you go, Brian. Uh, run through these on a Friday. Uh, question for you from Vince in Toronto. He said, uh, "You mentioned that the U twenty threes could have their best players, but I thought teams don't have to release players for youth tourneys. What's the situation there in terms of obligation on the part of clubs to release U twenty three players?" Well, uh, you know, they're right. I mean, you can get these players if they're held during, if these camps are held during international windows. Um, you know, there's not many of those left, but during the summer, they should be able to get a lot of the guys from Europe, um, uh, playing. And then qualifiers, uh, at least half of the qualifying tournament is going to be held, uh, on FIFA international dates in October solely for this purpose, um, of being able to get a guy like Yedlin and maybe Brooks and maybe Green to be released. And, um, uh, you know, so it's going to be, a, it, it, I think that there's a, there's a concerted effort right now, um, to try to make sure that, you know, what happens in 2012 doesn't happen in 2016 and that the U.S. will make it to the Olympics. And I think a big part of that has to do with getting some of these European players, you know, involved in the team. But yeah, no, if it's during international day, the, the clubs have to release. That's how, um, clubs in, um, in, in, uh, the, U, the European youth competitions, you know, U21s, U19s, are able to get their top players released yeah. because they usually play during international breaks. Yeah. Uh, last question here from uh, from Gringo Mark, and uh, this is I know you're not an immigration lawyer, at least I'm not. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're not an immigration no. lawyer, Brian. But there is going to be some question. Uh, look, I mean, this is back in the news because of who he just married. But Dom Dwyer has long sort of been rumored as a guy who, once he gets citizenship, could play for the U.S. Maybe he's angling for yeah. citizenship. Do you do you know? I, my understanding is that the marriage doesn't change his timeline. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I know that his timeline was that was actually Valentine's Day on December seventeenth, uh, December twenty seventeen. Uh, no, sorry, Valentine's Day twenty seventeen. Okay, and uh, um, and that was the initial timeline. I don't know if marrying an, an American, um, uh, you know, changes that. I don't think it does. I still think he has to. You know, it, it's a matter of when he filed and, and his status as when he filed. You know, his, his you know whatever paperwork he did. I I could be wrong about that, but I, I still would figure if he's if he's good enough um, for the U.S. team, it won't be until the uh, the hexagonal round of uh, World Cup qualifying when we see him. You know, I think that that brings up an interesting question that sometimes we we tend to gloss over. I mean, we know the rules for the for the U.S. or we know the standards that you have to be a citizen to represent the United States, and and you know you get a passport, you go through that process. If you're already a citizen, you just have to get your passport, as we talked about with uh, with guts. But when it comes to Guys like Dom Dwyer, who have been in the United States for quite some time, he can get a a green card, but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean anything. He's still got to go through the the citizenship process, and we know that that takes right. a, a while. Are there uh, you know there are how, how does FIFA view? And I, I I know some of this, Brian, but I'm just going to talk it out with you for the oh, benefit view of the citizenship and nationality. Yeah, and all yeah that in stuff. in terms of um, other other countries, because other countries don't seem to quite have the the hurdles the United States does. 
Well, I mean, you know, it, you know, there's the FIFA has all these things on the statute in their statutes because they don't use citizenship; they use nationality, and that's that's strictly because, like, uh, there's a lot of countries, uh, there's a lot of national teams that aren't sovereign nations, so mm-hmm. you can't really use citizenship, like Puerto Rico and and uh, Wales, North Northern Ireland, Scotland. Right. I mean, that's Great Britain, so you can't use nationality, and, and that presents its own different things. Um, you know, how does a, how does a guy get eligible for? Um, you know, you know, Wales uh, versus you know England when it's the same passport. Um, you know, uh, this is a British passport, but um, uh, you know that has to do with residency and um, blood lineage. And and if you go through, when I was looking at the ZLM statutes, there's all kinds of really interesting um, you know uh, you know rules there that that where they try to prevent people from gifting citizenship. I mean, that's why ZLM has to go through the FIFA exception because. You know, no one is, you know, you have to have some kind of residency in here. Um, after, you know, uh, you can't just, they, do, they don't want people just handing out citizenship just for the right. purpose of national team play. Right. And then there's all other, I mean, I was looking through it. It's actually really fascinating. Like, for example, uh, you know, there's, there's residency requirements, even if you acquire a citizen, a passport through, for, through birthright. Like, it has to, it has to, you know, either your parent or your grandparent has to live through the, through, in that country. Yeah. It can't be like your great grandparent or great great grandparent, like one of these citizens where you just get passports handed down in perpetuity and you lose connection with that country. Right. There's all kinds of like really interesting regulations where FIFA is, you know, uh, is, is far stronger and far, puts far more hurdles on their national team participation than any other kind of sport or, or, um, uh, uh, other sports governing bodies than you know in in, in existence right now. It's yeah, kind of fascinating. We, uh, yeah, we have we have examples in the Olympics of people competing for one country half their career and then switching yeah. and competing for another country. That certainly can't happen here. Uh, before I let you go, since you brought him up and, and I haven't really thought about it in a while, are are you aware of any movement on on FIFA's ruling on ZLM and? You know, if that happens, is he immediately a candidate? I mean, do they immediately start pushing for him to be in in the U twenties and the U twenty threes? Well, I hope that you know it's you know we're getting down to the whole thing. What happened with Green and um, you know and just you know force feeding him on the national team? Yeah. You know, uh, I I I think that my guess is that you'll see him even on the Gold Cup team. I think that you know oh. London like, liked him for some time. You know, oh. he talked about him. My hope though is that you know he would be you know potentially eligible for the U twenties and the U twenty threes, and then he kind of shows his stuff um, against kids of his own age and play on teams where he can become an impact player. Because if even when he joins the U.S. national team, I don't see him as a starter. Yeah. Let's get him on a team where he can start and play with these teams. And then, you know, and then, you know, save him for, uh, you know, and if he shows well there, then bring him along a, a kind of natural, uh, ordinary kind of progression where you see him move up. The, even if it's faster, if he's doing well, but you still see that kind of progression from one team to another. Yeah. Because, look, he's still not a first-team player. He's still mostly seeing U21 Premier League minutes, and, you know, that has to be taken for what it is. But, um, you know, we'll see. I think that you'll see a ruling on him favorably um, for the U.S. team in, in uh, probably either March or April. I can't say when. There you go. Gideon Zellalem potentially becoming or going to become a U.S. citizen, and we'll see how he's integrated. And there's a U21 team now. I mean, they're, 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 they're trying to fill those gaps, perhaps give him an opportunity, players like him an opportunity to go through those steps. Brian Sharetta, you should be following him on Twitter. Brian Sharetta, and you should be reading his work in American Soccer Now, New York Times, and uh, Yanks Abroad. Brian, appreciate it. Excellent as always. Enjoyed it. Thanks very much, Jason. Speak soon. There you go. Let's take a break. When we come back, Friday edition of the program, let's open up the phone lines, 347-756-6276. Get in now. Hit us up on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. Brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Be right back.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go on a Friday Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. WorldSoccerTalk.com slash live for the live version of the program every Monday through Friday, 10 to 11.15 a.m. Eastern. Uh, today, we're going to go to 11 o'clock for various reasons, uh, partly because I'm, I'm very cold and I feel like I need to go huddle in the corner with a fire and, and try to stay warm. I mean, you know, your fingers stop working. You can't hit the phone lines. 347-756-6276 is your phone number. We can certainly go over some of those dual internationals we just talked about with Brian Sharetta, some of the guys who we, we think are going to be American players. We know are American players in the case of Julian Green and his situation. And, I mean, I guess from that perspective, do we view Julian Green as a cautionary tale for how the United States handles Gideon's LLM once he comes through? And I, and I, I understand the fascination with Gideon's LLM. I'm fascinated by him, too, as a player. I'm excited to see what he can do. And I love the fact... And I've, I've trumpeted this on this show several times. I love the fact that he learned some of his soccer, not all of it, but a good portion of it in the United States under the tutelage of coaches who were here. Now, some of them are Brits, some of them are Americans, whatever. But I, 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 I'm glad that that's the case. I hope he comes good, and I hope the United States handles him in the right way. Again, he is a youth team player for Arsenal. He's not a starter. He's not a star He's not a guy you automatically walk into your senior national team and hand the keys to. And I don't know. Maybe Klinsman will bring him in, put him through the paces in camp, but he won't be on the field when it comes to crunch time. Or he won't be, he won't be on the field. I mean, I, I don't know. Do you play him against Guatemala in the Gold Cup, even if he's not playing on the senior level for Arsenal? Because I could see that happening with Julian Green. Julian Green's in purgatory at Hamburg. And yet you can imagine that, Jul- that Jurgen Klinsman will call him up and use him in meaningful games. Maybe not against Mexico. Maybe not against Costa Rica. Maybe not against Panama. But certainly against some of those other other teams in the in the region who you are supposed to walk over. Uh, I get to a, some questions uh, regarding Chelsea and that fan behavior and some bigger issues I have that I'm wondering about here, especially for American fans of the English game and of the European game. But let me get to this question from Vamos DCU on Twitter. Can you comment on DC United's announcement of a residential academy program for young players. I saw this in passing. I have yet to read the details. Uh, apparently, DC United announcing a plan to start a residential academy with Cal- Calverton Academy somewhere in Southern Maryland. I'm not a Maryland guy. I'm a Virginia guy, so my, my geography might be off here. But hey, any chance to get kids into a, resident, a residential situation for them to learn their soccer? And if this is a free program, if this is not a matter of paying DC United, for the right to go to this place and learn their soccer is a good thing. That's a that's a that's a positive step for DC United for the American Academy system as a whole. We need more resident. I'm I'm aware of two, three. Okay, you've got you've got RSL who's got the residential academy in Arizona. You've got Philadelphia who's got a high school which isn't residential but sort of serves the same purpose. You've got. Who else has anything approaching a residential academy? Vancouver. Vancouver's had an established academy for quite some time. Before they entered MLS, they may have a residential uh, set up there. If I'm missing anybody, feel free to tell me. I'm not saying there aren't others. Those are the ones I'm aware of. 985, you're on the air. Hey, this is Alfonso from New Orleans. What's going on, Alfonso? 
Hey, I wanted to call, it, talk to you about something that's kind of interesting. It's almost a reverse of what we were talking about in the beginning of the show was uh, when I uh, decided to uh, throw my lot in with my European club was Manchester City. Okay. It was right after they were relegated. Um, after playing so well the year before, Kevin Keegan took over, and uh, I kind of saw them as my hometown team like New Orleans Saints. They were you know, always available to uh, <laughs> snatch uh, victory from the jaws, I mean, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Sure, but, sure. Um, you know, they, they worked hard, and they came back, and they, uh, they started, you know, plugging away, got 10th, and did a little better. And then all of a sudden, they were bought by this Indonesian guy who was yeah. very shady, and then they were taken over by um, some guys from the Middle East, and so, like, my club, which really didn't have that much of a like, political or anything more than just, like, a local rivalry with Manchester United, suddenly now I'm torn between all these social issues because of what has been done with the club, yeah. and I'm only recently come into it, what, about 12 years now. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's I, kind of interesting to think, you know, should I abandon my club now because sure. of something that is happening as opposed to someone going, like, for example deciding to take on uh, Rangers or, sure. um, or sure. Bayern, Bayern Munich. Or, or, um, yeah, right. Any of the Lazio, Bill Wall, any of these sort of – and those are the obvious examples. There's a, there are plenty of other clubs across, across uh, England and the U.K. and the continent that have histories where they've had ultras that have caused problems or been racist or fascist or neo-Nazi, and, and, and those are the obvious ones. That, that that just come to mind, and you make you you do bring up a good point. It was sort of in in the reverse in the in the fact that a the ownership group maybe brought some things to the club that you may not be comfortable with. And I know that there's some people out there. I don't. I haven't heard directly from anybody who has turned down the opportunity or decided not to be a New York City FC fan because of those issues. But I have a. I know there's a, at least one guy in Philadelphia who continues to bang the drum that this isn't good for MLS. That you have Shank Mansoor and his track record before football or during you know during his football ownership period attached to an MLS club so yeah those these are all and, and look and we bring this up every single time these these questions happen Philip Anschutz has some political leanings that may make make people uncomfortable or 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 bother them and and these things are, are interesting questions to ask Alfonso thanks for the, for the phone call man I gotta go well right, there you go Vince in Toronto what's going on oh hey Jason how's it going ah uh, it's Friday and I'm freezing yeah, you know, I'm 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 indoors as well. I'm currently building my fantasy team, and it's like the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, let me ask you a question, Vince. I'll put this to you since you're a regular, and uh, my friend uh, Bo Dur on Twitter has asked the question, and I sort of did gloss, so I went past it with DC United, and I said that, that residential academies are a good thing. Now, they're a good thing if you're worried about getting a kid into an immersive soccer environment, right? If you're talking about taking a kid and give him, giving him a soccer education and giving yourself the best chance to turn him into a quality professional. But from a, from a human being, from a human level, I'm not sure residential academies are always the best. What, how do you feel about them? Is, is a, would a residential academy entail them living there? Yes, or? that's exactly what it means. So like IMG Academy? Yes, like uh, basically boarding school with soccer is the major focus. <clears throat> Well, I mean, um, you can look at it two ways. I mean, uh, better players, uh, you know, yeah, okay, the, you, you, it's a better environment perhaps. Um, but at the same time, are, are these kids committed? Do they want to be soccer? Well, I imagine they all want to be soccer players, but uh, well, which of them yeah, you know, do want to for sure get to the first team? What others perhaps want to get that opportunity to go to college well, is it, it, a residential it, thing, you, can, you know, the best for them. You can convince a 14-year-old kid of a lot of different things. 
Uh, I'm not That's saying true. I'm not saying that they're that they can't make their own decisions, but you can convince a 14 year old kid of a lot of different things. You give them the opportunity to go live somewhere. But then again, and, and I've I've mentioned this, and nobody wants to talk about it, and I understand why. We want our national teams to be the best possible, and we deem academies and development as as crucial to that process. But you know, what about taking away from that kid the traditional high school experience? I mean, do you get to do? dances and girls and 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 uh, you know just learning in, in that kind of environment if you are committed to soccer until you're 18 and then who knows what's going to happen are you ready to go to college are you ready to go into your professional life should it not involve soccer these things are open questions well you know jason in north america uh, you know around the world when we talk about sports we rarely talk about people as individuals i know no, we just think about what they can become in terms of uh, an athletic we, setting. We don't we, talk about you know them as people, as human beings, as you know regular Joes like you or me. They, we dehumanize the crap out of them, Vince, and it's and to me that's troubling, and I and I'm guilty of it on occasion. But I, I, every now and then I want to pull us back and say, well, what about that guy? That what about that kid? In some cases, this is a huge opportunity, and you know it's a it's an improvement for these kids. Sometimes it's not going to be that way. And again, there there are questions over. What the best path is? You did you have anything else, Vince? Before I move on, yeah, yeah, I wanted to. Uh, well, you know, I'll just give you a quick example right now um, before I get to my whatever I want to talk about. Um, Julian de Guzman right now. He hasn't played club soccer since I think last summer. People have been getting mad at him. Canadian soccer fans have been like, "Why isn't he just looking for a club? Why isn't he looking for a place to play? No matter what, he should be playing. He should be getting regular minutes." And you know, and then you know, one person brought up, I believe, that he doesn't want to move his kids and his family out of Germany because that's where they currently live. And um, and so that makes you think, right? There's there's so much more to what when a player goes to a club or you know whatever he chooses to be, you know, his professional setting. Um, you know, a lot of it is, is you know family based and uh, their personal lives, which you know we often forget about. Um, okay, so I just wanted to mention you're talking about like the dual nationals and everything, and um, uh, and how you know the the rules are weird, right? Especially with the Zalalem thing and how he's uh, not eligible to play for the U.S. currently, but you the U.S. Soccer Federation is working on that. Um, you know, I remember, that, like, I was just, you know, on the soccer subreddit, and, you know, there was a, an article about, you know, this Swiss kid who now just got a Swiss passport, and he'll be able to represent Switzerland uh, at the youth level. And, you know, when I looked this kid up, he had already been playing for Switzerland at the youth level before he got his passport. And I asked him, what's going on? Why is this kid able to play for Switzerland without his passport? And they're like, oh, you, can't, you can only play friendlies. And, you know, this happened here in Canada as well with uh, our Vancouver kids, uh, Sam Medikugbi. In November, he was playing with the U-20s. He, he's in, uh, in some friendlies. Now he, he was in the U-20 tournament. And right before the tournament, it, you know, it came out, oh, he just got his Canadian passport. So now he's allowed to p- represent Canada. You know, that's weird. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen any U.S. youth player who didn't have his passport yet who it was happens. able to play for the youth teams uh, in a friendly. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I, look, I, I think sometimes these guys are considered guest players. Thanks for the call, Vince. I'm going to move on because I have limited time today. But sometimes these guys are considered guest players, and they might be in a camp, and they might play in a friendly. I mean, look, a friendly off the radar, no one's paying attention to anyway. I'm not, I'm not going to make a big issue out of that. Uh, the aforementioned Rick from Philly, who I didn't name check, is on the line. What's up, Rick? Hey, Jason. Uh, I'm glad to see you haven't frozen to death yet. It's pretty bad up here. <laughs> the East Coast is very whiny right now, and I think the Midwest, the upper Midwest, are like, whatever. Yeah. You remember uh, about a year, almost a year ago, I guess, we did this Google Hangout thing, you and me and Tannenwald, and I actually mentioned this at the time, but going back to what you were talking about this morning, there are just bad teams out there. And people make decisions, especially American fans who aren't born into teams, yeah. but who make a decision to support a team. 
they have to accept the negative connotations of clubs. If you're rooting for Lazio, if you're rooting for City after Mansour's takeover, if you're rooting for Chelsea after Abramovich, if you're rooting for Feyenoord at all. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's, that's the thing, though, Rick, is, is, is it gets to this bigger question that I have, and it's not just the American thing. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll refer you to this excellent piece over at uh, thegoatparade.com, which is uh, the, 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 the Chivas USA blog. I mean, I know Chivas USA doesn't exist anymore, but Alicia Rodriguez is still writing over there. She's got a fantastic mm-hmm. piece about asking that very question. As an American soccer fan, if you come to this, and maybe you're not even thinking about it, you flip on your TV one day and you like the way a team plays, or you like a certain player, or this, the, the fans are singing and that draws you in, next thing you know you're a fan of that team, then you have to go back later, or you may become aware of things later on that you didn't know at the time, and you know it's, it, it's Feyenoord and their reputation, it's Lazio and their reputation, it's even, even clubs like PSG, for example. Lots of money, some really bad fans in the past, and, and maybe even now some fans who are part of the club's fabric who you would not want to associate with. So the bigger question is, as we look at what happened with the Chelsea fans in Paris, the bigger question is, do you have to, as a, if you're a Chelsea fan, if you're an American Chelsea fan, or it doesn't matter, wherever you're from, do you have to own that? Do you have to own that, or is it? Does that mean something to your club and their I, I identity? Think it ab- I think it absolutely does, and I think you do have to own it. And obviously, there's an exception if you, you know, if you honestly don't know about it. But once you learn about it, you have to examine yourself. Look at uh, the the fans who have accepted Man- uh, New York City FC, uh, whether they went over from Red Bull or whether they're accepting that. They go into that with the full knowledge that it's essentially the PR arm of Sheikh Mansour's operations with all of the bad stuff that he's done. Well, as Americans, Rick, but as American sports fans, they're not going to be quite as cynical as you are about that aspect (laughs) of it. And I think that's part of it, too. We don't have that mentality here. We don't connect. This is the major thrust of Alicia's piece. We don't connect our sports teams to any of that stuff. We might have some drunks who cause trouble in Philadelphia, Rick, or in wherever, <laughs> but we don't take... You, we, you mentioned the snowballs. I'll have to hack No, off. I'm not going to mention Santa Claus, but I will say that you know it, it is noto- the notorious truth of the, 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 the holding cell at the basement of, of the of veteran stadium and the like. Those things aren't connected... Nobody draws a line between those drunk fans who end up in that holding cell and the Philadelphia Eagles or or the Philadelphia Phillies or whatever. But we do well, that. I, with, I think that's I think that's true to an extent. But to use that metaphor, I think that Philadelphia has always been associated with the Broad Street Bullies, for example, and that sort of behavior. But, okay, but that but that's that's on the ice. That's 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 what the the Flyers represented on the ice. But no one took that to mean that they were that the the fans were violent thugs in the in the rest of their life. That they would you know go roaming down the street in packs of tens and twenties looking to fight Rangers fans. That's that's not something. Well, no, that. And that's, that is a fundamentally good point, but soccer, especially American soccer, has always been more connected to the political and to the sensibilities of European sports than any other, you know, than yeah. any other American sport. So I think it's not, I, I don't think it's Look, I'm not, unreasonable I... to expect that American soccer fans are going to understand the connotations of the teams they're rooting well, for. Well, they absolutely it's not should like, be. They should, they like, should beware. Oh, you go. Well, no, they, 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 I, I gotta, I gotta run here, unfortunately, Rick, but they, they, American soccer fans should be aware of these things. And before you dive headfirst into a new club, and look, we're, gonna, we're adding new soccer fans every year in this country. You need to be mm-hmm. aware of what you're dealing with and whether or not you want to be connected to some of the history of these things. Again, we don't necessarily mix all this stuff together in the U.S., but I think it's fascinating to consider as well whether or not a club like Chelsea 
whether or not their identity comes from fans who do crap like like what happened in Paris and, and the like, whether or not Feyenoord becomes that that identity. I mean, we we kind of conflate these things, but but when we're talking about the growth of MLS teams, you have to wonder if one day, you know, again, if there's a if there's a group of racist fans, but everybody else is 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 not. Do do they have an, a disproportional pull on what that reputation and, and perception is of that club? And, and if no, absolutely. And if I'll, t- I'll leave you with this, and I've mentioned it before. What happens in MLS when Atlanta opens its doors and there's a guy with a Confederate flag in the in dead yeah, center yeah. on the town? It's, 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 it's a question that's worth asking, I suppose. I mean, again, I just wonder, I mean, if Abramovich and Mourinho come out and say, well, that's not Chelsea, and, and, and Chelsea fi- you know, figures at the club who have been around forever say, that's not Chelsea, that's not who we are, well... Is that necessarily true? And if you aren't addressing, it, it, I don't know, that you, you can't disown fans. Again, it, it's an opt-in situation. The fans can call themselves Chelsea fans. You can't do anything about it. You can keep them out of the stadium, but they're still walking around in your colors. It, it's a very difficult situation when we're talking about what is affect two entities who are mixed together and, and, and they all reflect off of each other in terms of their actions. Rick, I appreciate the phone call, man. I got to run. All right, thank you. All right, there you go. Uh, let's take uh, let's take this opportunity to finish out the week. Thank you very much for listening to Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Go to backheel.com slash store to buy your Soccer Morning mug. I know a bunch of people have bought that, took advantage of the free shipping. Thank you very much for that. Go to 3nlfc.com to buy your Soccer Morning t-shirt. Same logo, very nice blue, little, little light blue color. I mean, I, I don't know if it's going to work for Duke fans, but, you know, whatever. Um, what else am I missing here, Trevor? We make sure you go to iTunes. Give us a rating and a review. That helps us out a lot. Uh, hit us up on, on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. Continue this discussion. Bo's over there doing some stuff. Bo Durr, you know him. He's fantastic. Uh, he's having this discussion uh, about academies, about the, the, the reputations of clubs and the perceptions we have of them. It's good stuff. All right, I'm done. I'm going to go warm up. I'll talk to you guys on Monday. See you then. Bye.